Hello, and this is the Field Music Cast, broadcasting to you digitally through the information superhighway. Today, we are going to um, start off talking about a song from our new album, Flat White Moon, or Flat White Moon. It's the final song on our record. It's called You Get Better. I don't think you can learn objectivity. initially came up with this little banger. I had a demo of it called Badoobada. 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 We've got lots and lots of demos on various computers and coming up with a, a descriptive title, which means you can actually find it, know what it is just by the title. It's quite difficult. This one was always Badoobada. Badoobada. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, inspiration. Sweet inspiration. So what does the Badoobada refer to? It refers to the bass line. Badoobada, 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 Badoobada. Ah, right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the the guitar the guitar part. Bling, ding. Bling, ding. Could have called it bling, ding, couldn't I? Ah. The guitar, the guitar part. That's not, that's not Badoobada. No. And it's not as, it's, it's too simple to give a title to a song. Or even a demo. But. Badoobada. So would you say that when you came up with it, it was the Badoobada, which was the thing that you were like, oh, this is the thing. I that- honestly can't remember. Mm. I honestly can't remember. But I, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've got a demo of it where there's that guitar part and the bass part and something like the drum part. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I honestly cannot remember when or why or which bit came first. I haven't got a clue. So can you at all remember what you were trying to do with this one? Um, I uh, I just like I liked that riff, and it it, it wasn't a simple as that it wasn't a thing it wasn't really a thing and then all of the other elements that we put on turned it into a thing um so for instance this clapping all the way through most of the way through um double time clapping soul clapping is that an, is that an official recognized it, title for that kind of clapping. It is. It is. It, is. Um, it happens on a Prince song where, but he doesn't say soul clap and he says clap your hands double time. There is a Sly and the Family Stone bonus track, I think from Dance to the Music, which is just called Soul Clapping. Which All has, right. All right. So it's right. Um, that makes it official and doesn't it really... It's only a bonus track, though. Does that does that does that work? They didn't know they were recording a bonus track. Surely they were just <laughs> recording a. No, a thing. <laughs> and then um, one of the records that I've been listening to loads, um, and one of the records which weirdly really got me back into like wanting to play bass and bass sounds and things um, was um, live album by. Donny Hathaway and there's a really long track they do a really long version of the ghetto um where nine minutes in nine and a half minutes in <laughs> after the conga solo um he says you know can I get a bit of soul clap in there and everyone you know like basically All right, so like double time everybody claps. He actually says, everybody everybody in that audience knew to soul clap Right, we should we should try that then. We we need to make it a thing at our at our gigs, but I mean it'll, it'll be a while before we can get some audience participation going, um, and you know because we're just a little five piece band, and most of us are we're using our hands at most times through the set. Mm. It's like we we can't really generate a no. A, I think you have to ask whoever clap. else was there at the time. Um, hey, the other thing as well. Um, I haven't mentioned this to you. Um, Grassy wants to know if he can drop off his um, congas, perhaps, and sort of store them here. That's fine. Yeah. Nah, you see, I waited for the right moment because if you hadn't l- listened to this track <laughs> with the conga solo on, you might have been like, "Nah, why would you want congas?" But now I'm I've just waited for the right moment. Now I'm just desperate to get a to get a conga. So- I'm no, I'm, I'm not desperate to do a conga solo. I, I it no, is no. it's a good conga solo. But I mean, if I had to lose any part of this album, sorry, Earl, I, I I would trim I would trim down the conga solo. But I mean, it's a really really like a live album. It's a great it's a great record for like feeling like you're at a gig. Right. Yeah. I think I think sometimes live albums struggle with that, or I struggle with live albums. In general, um, but I thought what was interesting as well was that I had to choose my favorite live album for um, Roddy Hart's show on Radio Scotland, and I chose Randy Newman live at the bitter end. And this album, yes, was also half of it is from the bitter end. Half of it is from, and the it's bitter quite end. small. 230, 250, whatever it was, capacity venue. Um, and yet these two kind of... And when's the um, the Donny Hathaway one from? It's from 1972. All right. So, yeah. So the Randy Newman one, I think, is from like 1970. S- similar similar time. Yeah. I mean, I think um, because part of you'd like the touring circuit would have involved going to do like a week long or a two week long or a month long residency somewhere. There wasn't that same like direct correlation between the success of an artist and the capacity and this, yeah. of the place they're playing for only one night because they weren't playing there for only one night. Um, yeah. Three, three cake. <laughs> what? 
700 cap. That, that is the kind of thing that, that people do say when they're booking tours and what yeah, have you. Bollocks to that, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 250 cap, 85 nights. <laughs> you do the math. I mean, it is, it, it is interesting because like, if, you, if you go to live gigs in a good small venue... There's nothing like it, actually, I don't think. I think you get to a point where the size of the venue make, like, starts to detract from the experience. I find that. I find, I like, you know, around about, I mean, I like really small gigs. You, do you like 50 cap? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let's stop. 60 cap? Let's just stop talking in there. 70 voice. cap? <laughs> All the way up to... Yeah, no, but I like, you know, I like going to see a, a, you know, a band where you can really hear the drums off the stage. You can really hear the guitar amps off the stage. You can just, you get a sense of it's having the privilege of being in the same room as people making music together, where it's not just like a glorified hi-fi. Um, you know, I've been to some big gigs, um, big-ish where it's, it's kind of really worked because of the spectacle of the thing. But sometimes, uh, yeah, there's been some big gigs I've been to where I really haven't enjoyed it. Yeah. And there's something special about hearing a great performance right there in front of you. Right, cl- right touching distance and feeling like you're at one with the room. And again, I think that's something which on that... Um, I think on that Donny Hathaway live album, you get that feeling. Also, what's interesting about it, um, he does covers on it. You know, he, he mm. covers what's going on and he covers You've Got a Friend and he covers Jealous Guy. But those are contemporary songs. Yeah. It wasn't like he was dipping into the the years gone past of, you know, classic rock songwriting he was playing... Well, there's only been sort of 20 only, years of, of rock songwriting. Indeed, indeed, that. indeed. And we, we're, we have a different situation now where we have 20 plus 50 years. Yeah. Or-ish, I don't know. But it would be... I, I suppose if, you were a, if you're a pop artist with not that many songs, there, there would be some sense to you playing, you know, three other very popular songs. Yeah. Released in the, the last year yeah. in your set. Um, but I think that it, it, it's probably um, just the, the live music was coming from a different place. And, you know, they, they do You Got a Friend and he gets the audience to sing the chorus. And everyone in the audience knows that song. It's like enough of a, right, yeah. like a cultural touchstone within a year of being released or, Two years of being released, um, for him to say you, you've you've got this bit because I'm gonna you know vocalize over the top, um, but I think even that like adds to the adds to the sense of it being like a real live event and spontaneous and not polished. I mean, they're amazing musicians, but not a polished recording. Um, so yeah, so that. So, so soul clapping does exist. Right. I haven't just made it up. Right. Good. Even though that it's, you know, it's not part of like our cultural background to just like, you know, ask the audience well, it's for a soul clap. Well, another thing appropriate, isn't it, really? With the utmost respect Absolutely. for where it comes oh, from. Always. Something else, which we borrowed for the song, for the arrangement of the song, um, was a bit of like, Group rhythmic a cappella. Oh um, yeah, of course, yeah. We mentioned I mentioned Sly and the Family Stone for soul clapping, but actually, I mean, I, we've also done a little bit of on this song. Um, not that. That's probably why why I've ended up thinking that would, that would be a good idea because I'd already. He's already started vocalising. I'd already vocalised that. Yeah, yeah. From the very first demo. Um, 
obviously Sly and the Family Stone do it really, really famously on Dance to the Music, but they do it on other tracks as well. Yeah, some other tracks on, on that album. On that al- Well, that album is almost like a, a, an album which is remixing itself as, yeah, as they go along. Yeah. There's not that many different musical motifs in it. They, they kind of, they, they use them again and again. There's still some really good songs on it. Um, but even before that, on the first Sly and the Family Stone album, which is called A Whole New Thing, um, one of my favourite songs of theirs is called If This Room Could Talk. And he even does a little um, vocalised, rhythmic vocalisation um, outro on this one. So there's some of the little snippets, little ideas, musical ideas, which turned it from being a very brief demo, which I just liked, and turned into a song. Now, I know this song does not sound obviously like Free. We've talked about Free quite a lot mm-hmm. about with this album because it was something we were listening to and talking about especially when we started but even though this doesn't sound like free <laughs> i can't believe i'm talking about free again f- there is for me like an element of the free influence in it in that sense of there aren't very many instrumental parts it's based around a guitar riff, simple guitar riff, and a simple bass riff, and a simple drum pattern that aren't playing the same thing, mm. but like lock together. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've read somewhere where Andy Fraser has said, you know, that I don't know whether everybody in the band, but he's so free as primarily. Like a soul band. That's interesting. Where he he said, you know, we that's what we were all into. You know, people kind of saw us like there's a blues rock band, but we were all into soul music. That's interesting. And I think I think you've got to kind of adjust your mindset to hear it. Except with Paul Rogers, because I think that he was really it, it was really explicit that he was going for that. So yeah, and when you hear the kind of like freeze quieter stuff, you know, like the stuff on highway, um, that isn't all right now, or isn't fire and water, or isn't Mister Big, or you know, I'm a mover, I'll be creeping, or something like that. It's like, you know, when when the piano comes out, <laughs> yeah, you know, you kind of get sort of an that element of kind of um, almost like a kind of countryish yeah. soul. Yeah, actually, you you just mentioned it. That one of the um, kind of countryish soul tracks that I listen to a lot is um, "You Don't Miss Your Water" by William Bell. Oh, and right, yeah. The style of piano playing on that—it's like, oh yeah, the, or the the relationship between the piano and the bass on that, like, which will be the Stacks house band, I imagine. Yeah, has that Andy Frasery kind of kind of feel. To go alongside free with that sort of soul influence, I would also put the band as well. You know where... Um, well, they were really into Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, and you can really hear it. Obviously, it, it becomes very obvious on something like Cripple Creek. Um, but then there's also... Um, King Harvest will surely come. That's a, that's like, really like it. There's kind of like interesting lope to the rhythm yeah. of it, which isn't. It's not like what a blues band or a rock and roll band would play. Which I suppose what they yeah. Came I don't from. think so. I don't think so. But I yeah. So you can really hear that. Um, um, you know, I suppose what what you would call soul music, kind of injecting itself into lots and lots of different areas. And I'm sure, uh, certainly around the time of Highway, that the ba- uh, that Free were listening to the band as yeah, well. Yeah, because my brother Jake is 
I mean, I'm sure they must have even heard that song. Um, Get up, Jake. Do you think? I don't know. It's just that it seems too much of a coincidence. I do think, I mean, it's a bonus track on the CD version I have, but it's, um, I think it was the B-side of Rag Mamarag. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's possible. Maybe I, might, maybe I might need to check my facts maybe, before maybe I say things a, as if a, I know them. Well, maybe it is a coincidence. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I could, I could hear the band playing My Brother Jake. Yeah. I'd like to, but it's, it's, um, um, it's not, I mean, not possible you know, now. I can't, I, I can <laughs> imagine it. The other thing that I listen to loads, I've been listening to loads for the past couple of years, um, that has that similar thing of, uh, a simple guitar part, a simple bass part and, a drum pattern and they're not playing the same thing and they slot together is James Brown. And maybe mm. like that, that might come through more explicitly in a track, like you get better where it's, it's kind of like a funk thing. Um, but yeah, like the, um, that period of James Brown records from Papa's got a brand new bag. Um, right through and slightly past when, Bootsy and Catfish Collins mm. were in the band. Um, there's so many great examples of them doing that, even where it's like, well, the guitar's playing in a minor key and the bass is playing in a major key. <laughs> They're not playing the same rhythm. They're not changing at the same time, but it's clearly really like deliberately done like that. They're, they're, they're probably not like writing out the parts and making sure there's no clashes or anything. They would have played until James Brown said, yes, that's, that's, the that's, one. that's how it should be. <laughs> and I mean, James Brown's credit as a, as a songwriter on, you know, so many of those classic tracks. And I, you know, f from my perspective, I, I think there's no controversy about that, but he's not someone who is telling the band to play these notes in that order. It's more like the Eno version of the songwriter where it's like, okay, you play, I need it to be like this. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. That's it. Do that until I say stop. <laughs> until, yeah, until I say take it to the bridge and then yeah. we'll, do, we'll yeah. do the other thing. I've, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, now, I imagine the people who were in his band who played those parts, they might, be able, might take issue, rightly so, with them not being credited as well, songwriters yeah, in all these tracks. A, Maybe we should steer clear of that controversy and listen to some James Brown records. <laughs> yeah. So there are like changes in You Get Better. There, there are sections and stuff, but most of the verse is built around that buddha buddha and yeah. that, that really simple guitar part. Now, one of the things that I like and have done like quite a lot, I suppose, is where there's not much or no harmonic movement in what the instrument instrumentation is doing but you let the melody jump around a lot um to imply that there's more harmonic movement there mm -hmm. than it is and i think that what can happen certainly for me if i've written a song with loads of harmonic movement in the guitar part say then the melody kind of has to follow all of those harmonic moves. Whereas with a, something where there's not much harmonic movement or there's not um, something where there's not much harmonic movement, you can let the melody go a bit wild, imply different, different things. I suppose... Um, I'm still at the stage where I will write a guitar part and kind of think, okay, that's, th that's the finished song. Not realizing that the melody is not like the melody that I'm going to sing is not going to be that guitar part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you write, you write riffs. Yeah. That's the thing is you don't, you, you, we, gen we generally, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, lean towards writing a riff 
as opposed to writing accords, yeah. a, a chord progression. Although that's, you know, the, there are exceptions to that without a doubt, but I think it is that kind of love of the, of the riff. In all its or many Or a part, things. you know, and yeah. It, yeah and, and it could be, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a guitar riff. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of love. I mean, because if we wrote that, then whoever originally wrote a whole lot of love after, uh, before Jimmy Page would probably have something to say about it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's that kind of idea of how much, re- it's structural, isn't it? Because it's like, how, how much repetition do you want to do? It's almost like, how good is, how how many times can I get away with like repeating this riff? Or at what point do I want to kind of like, okay, I want to like release it and get out of there. Yeah. And so, so in how much do I want this riff to be at the front? Hmm. Okay. You know, do I want people to notice this riff happening or can I let this riff sit in the background because the vocal melody is going to do something different? And wherever we're doing, if we're doing a song with singing in, the singing is the most important thing, I think. Yeah, I don't know. You'll have to leave that one with us. <laughs> and I think it, I think I think we have to. We recognise that it's probably the most important thing for people listening to it. Maybe I don't know. I don't even know that though. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think there's a difference between the whether the lyrics are the most important thing or whether the singing at the front is the most important thing. For me, I think if I'm writing a song with words, with singing in it, hmm. then the singing will be mostly at the front. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of how you mix it, or just how you in, you picture it? In terms of... It's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> In terms of what people are going to, what what a listener is going to hear. Right. In terms of what a listener is going to take away from the song. I think, I think there are some bands where that, that's obviously not the case. You're thinking about Led Zeppelin, aren't I, you? Well, I'm thinking about certain bits of Led Zeppelin where it's like, you know, like a lot of the Headley Grange stuff. It's like, yeah, this- Lance's voice is like, is, is slightly buried in 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 the mix and, I, and I'm assuming that was a decision that they made to just they weren't sort of oh we mixed it wrong we just left it mind you you never know what them guys do I can imagine they were pretty off the cuff they were so good at that um, and I think that's all I think that's okay too um, yeah I suppose with that happening a lot of the singing is like vocalizations over a riff you might not care about the lyrics and also the I care. I mean, I do. Well, do I care about Led Zeppelin's lyrics? Occasionally. Um, Sometimes I might not care for them, but I, I care about them. But it's almost like they treat it as like lead guitar breaks yeah. over the top of, you know, the main riff. I think I think he gets under, underrated as a kind of a, an expressive melodicist, Robert Plant. Because he's, he's out there and kind of amazing. I am. He's. Un- I. I've, I think he's like pretty unhinged. I'm pro plant. I am pro plant. <laughs> it sounds. Plant. It sounds higher. like some kind of medicinal. <laughs> yeah. Herbal medicinal yeah. remedy. Pro plant. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He is. He is our herbal medicinal remedy. I. But I don't write songs like that. No, I, because you write all of you write all of the stuff. You. 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 You write you know, the guitar part and then you'll write the lyrics as well. And you're not just like giving a riff and said, right, you're gonna have to just do something come up with something now. Although we you know we could we could try that. We could try that. (laughs) I think we might have to do that under a different name, but I've got just the name. Hot contents. It's too jokey, isn't it? Um, I have to take it seriously. No, I mean I mean if we're gonna do a Blues riffs and vocalizations band. We need to take it seriously and not not just not just take the. <laughs> yeah. Although actually, yeah, something like the song remains the same, which I think is, you know, one of those absolute pinnacle masterpiece Led Zeppelin tracks. The music is 
pretty steady on uh, yeah. one chord, kind of riffing around, but pretty like harmonically steady. And I mean, he he, he gives it structure, and Robert Plant gives it structure. I think, yeah, he by gives the it. the shape the shape of the vocal phrases across that across those verses. So maybe that maybe he does do the same the same thing, and maybe we're still closer to Led Zeppelin than even we realise. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> For some bits. It's just a cross between Led Zeppelin and Free. <laughs> like, it's all <laughs> The <right>. firm. <laughs> That's what I said about this album. I said, you know, if we get this right, we could be like an even better firm. Yeah, but whenever I say that, people don't think about the... No, rock. they think about either Star trek Indeed. Or they think you're saying foam in a, you know, sort of a Northumbrian twang. Is there a band called The Foam? Could there be? No, but Should can you imagine? The Foam. You know, a band from Ashington <laughs> called The Foam. Oh, I maybe that would... I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't get my accents mixed up. I mean, being a Magnum, I should not have any say on this whatsoever. The Firm. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought of one other thing that, that, that we should, I should mention before we get, get on to listeners' questions. Oh, does anybody listen to this? If so, why? Some at least one person from Alabama listens to this. Is possibly that, three people from Alabama listens to this, so we have to do it for them. Right. Um I'll do it. The lyrics for this song. Which is kind of like it's kind of like a an anti self help song. <laughs> a self help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> kind of song. Get confident, stupid. <laughs> there, there's a there's a bit there's a bit of that in it. Um, it's it's like my version of being optimistic. It's like, okay, things might be terrible, but they will change. It might not necessarily change for the better, but it'll change. And it could it could get better. Doesn't sound massively optimistic. That's as good as it's I like, get, I'm it's afraid. Like 50-50, 100% they're going to change. 50-50, whether they're going to get better or not. I take great solace in thinking that things change. Yeah. Sometimes the f- things feel like they don't change. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that, that, can, that can be a difficult thing. So that's it. Feel- and there are some things that you think, something's happened, and that's it. It's changed, you know... You can't change the fact it's happened. Mm. Unless you have a flux capacitor. Good idea for an album. Or a film. They've already done that. They did three of them. <laughs> all great. Or did they? All all with great music. Here's one. Problem with Back to the Future 2. Right. I want to hear it. I mean, there's a few problems with Back to the Future 2, but I'd, I'd like to hear Well, this, your, is, this your is my on. main one. This is my main one. Right, 2015, right? Right? Yeah. Right. Okay, let's forget that... There's no flying cars. There's no flying cars anymore. Right, so Biff... Yeah. Travels... Old Biff, this is old Biff... Yeah. Who's, you know, obviously in his 80s or whatever now. Flies the DeLorean back in time to give his former self the sports almanac in 1955... Yeah. Gives him it. Gives himself this. And then flies back to the future. But it's the same future he flies back to. Impossible. I don't care how many great Scots or whatever. Anyway. You know I, what? I, that th- It's only a film. Yeah, that's not going to spoil my enjoyment. Of no, film. no, I mean, it's still, it's, still, it's still fantastic entertainment, but... It's not, it's not the real science I expected it to be. <laughs> you know, kind of. It's not the docudrama <laughs> that it could have been. Anyway, get those scissors, editing. This <laughs> well, so after that, Battle of the Future D two, which was important, it was worth. It was, it's worth looking at, and it's also, it's just worth considering that. In the future, which is now the past, they have flying cars, but still use fax machines. And that's yeah, but, a- and now, 
Yeah, and now what we have is like, I don't know, laser printers. Lasers? Yeah. And yet, our cars can't fly. I mean, the world's <laughs> why? Great, the world's greatest minds have been focused on... Just the wrong things. The wrong things. Guys, get on it. Yeah. <laughs> Tom from MySpace, come on. <laughs> Let's sort this out. But the, the starting point of the lyrics for this song, not what it turned into... Um, now, for better or worse, I have a Twitter alert that shows me when people use the phrase field music. And that means occasionally I find out about what uh, marching bands are doing in the States. Mm -hmm. It's all very interesting. What it's there for is so if there's any yeah. press things that I should be retweeting. Bad reviews. I need to know all the bad reviews. I need to, you know... People Just, saying get off the air on, on six music stuff. Yeah, like that. sick yeah. of this field music song. I need I need to know all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's very good, very good for the soul. It's very important and yeah, great for my mental health. Um. <sighs> now, uh, I guess a year and a half, two years ago now, I, I came across a conversation. Field music. We mentioned it. It's like, oh, I'm 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 curious. What's going on here? And it was a conversation that went something like, you need to learn some objectivity. Other person says, hey, that sounds like it could be a lyric. First person says, well, it would be a lyric, but I'm not like field music. Don't make, oh, don't, yeah, don't, don't use lyrics like that. And I saw that and thought, oh, well... I've got to now, haven't I? Red rug to a bull I know, in a china shop. I know. <laughs> Should never have left all those red rags in the china shop. <laughs> How ironic. So it was. it's two songwriters called... Uh, Rally Long and Alex Hyten were having this conversation oh, about right, okay. how, how they wouldn't turn that lyric into, you know, a, a song. They leave that kind of nonsense to feel music. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm in there. I'm straight in there. So I, I should, you know, credit them for giving me a reason. I, I changed it, though, because I don't, because as the lyrics say, I don't think you can, I don't think you exactly learn to be objective. But maybe you just start to notice your biases a little bit more. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let me fetch a listener's question. Okay. Why all the strats? <laughs> Why do you do this? Why don't you have one decent guitar? Decent guitars are too expensive. True. Everything's too expensive. Apart from back catalog CDs. Right. Mark Bromley says, The unsung heroes, Andrew, Liz and Kev. Yeah. How have they influenced you? Do you write or arrange parts for their voices, stroke, talents? Um, I think that's a good question. I think they've influenced me. I, I would assume you probably quite a lot. There's a few different things going on. There are. There, there are. There's one where being in a band with them makes me feel good and gives me confidence. Yeah. To like try things out. Yeah. That's important. It's really important. It's made, it makes and, a difference. And it makes a difference to how you make the music. And in a way, it's like, I can do anything. And you, just, you don't even have to be bloody minded by saying, you know what, I'm going to write a song that is impossible to play. <laughs> I just feel like I don't even have to think about that anymore. And whether we do play it or we don't play it, it's like, well, nothing's really beyond them. You know, in, in my you know, in terms of what we we wanted I wanna do. And the other thing sometimes I'll be writing something and I'll think, I think I think Liz might enjoy she'll, singing she'll like this. this. Yeah. Or like Kev might enjoy playing this guitar riff. Or, you know, I'd rather hear Andrew Lowther play this bass line than me. Um Yeah, so I think and I, yeah, I think that I think that's a big part of it. Mm. And that I think that extends to other things as well, you know, it's like, sometimes it's like, you know, like the artwork and things and some, and making, you know, the videos sometimes as well. It's like, what's going to 
what are they all going to like? What's what's Kev going to kind of enjoy like doing when we give him like, you know, some like job to do and how can he bring out his personality in it? And that thing and um and that that comes with the with making the making and writing the music as well. It's like I kind of look forward to the time like when there's more everybody else's personality kind of starts like coming out of the songs and like people have their own ways of playing and you know like Liz totally changed Noisy Days and she actually added in a new a new bit that I hadn't hadn't thought of um, and I look forward to that as well like it's almost sometimes giving people giving the songs themselves like a bit of space so something can happen in them that you weren't expecting from somebody else yeah yeah, because I think still, for the most part, when we're recording, there is the sense of, let's not think about how we're going to do it live. Try not to think about how we're going to do it live because mm. you don't want to limit what we might do in a recording. You do what's best for that song and have ideas. And But then knowing that, oh, and then we're going to be able to give it to the band and turn it into something is exciting and not feeling that that is a problem it's just a, a part of the process because mm. recorded music and live music are kind of, kind of different different things to deal with um, I suppose if people don't don't know when we play live me and Peter switch around between drums and guitar Liz plays a keyboard and sings Andrew Lowther plays bass and he plays bass so heavy, you, we could probably have like one less member of the band than we might need otherwise. Um, it's like he's playing three octaves at the same yeah. time. And then Kev gets given like everything else. Everything else that we did on the recording, we say like, Kev, can you somehow make all of these bits into something which one yeah. person could play? Um, and that <laughs> that's pretty much how like the live band goes but I definitely know what you mean about that like oh like Liz is going to enjoy this bit well you know you, 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 you make hope. that a, you, you make that a you know either an assumption or um, you hope it yeah and occasionally well I think since Liz has joined the band I think our willingness to go a step too far with backing vocals when we're recording has maybe gone up a level mm -hmm. yeah and then then occasionally there's like a reaction against something. So what I'm thinking of here is when we toured the second school language album and Andrew Lather played bass in that band, the bass parts for that record were all really repetitive or mostly really repetitive. And I remember thinking when we started writing songs for Common Time, it's like, I want to give Andrew Lather some, some really fun stuff to do. So there's a couple of songs on there don't you want to know what's wrong? Um, it's a good thing. It's just like, I, I really want to give Andrew something like to say sorry for the repetitive nature wow. of the last tour. <laughs> Maybe Noisy Days is a bit like that as well. <laughs> and then, the, yeah, the, the process of the band turning it into something gives the songs like extra life rather than feeling like if it's not exactly the, as it is in the recording, it's a failure. Actually taking what's on the recording and finding a way for the members of the band's voices, talents, styles to come through yeah. is part of what makes it fun. Absolutely. I feel like, I feel like we've, I've just repeated exactly what you said, but in slightly different it's, words. It's worth repeating. <laughs> Edit alert. Realised when we finished recording this episode that it was something that I had failed to mention. So even though it means uh, breaking the format, um, this is as good a time as any to talk about it. Something which is really important to me for the song, which is Parliament. So we've just been talking there about how having Liz in the band changed how we might do vocals a little bit. Now, the combination of me listening to loads of Parliament and us being locked down, so knowing that Liz wasn't going to be able to come into the studio, 
gave me a different idea of what I could do with the vocals on this song. So Parliament, if you don't know, um, they started as a doo-wop group um, led by George Clinton. And then George Clinton, I think, ingested quite a lot of LSD and um, things split into Funkadelic and Parliament basically with the same pool of musicians with Funkadelic doing the more kind of rock psychedelic side of things and Parliament doing a kind of horn-led funk. What Parliament kept from the doo-wop days was having like lots of male singers in the band singing strong either unison or harmony vocals not so much the kind of like high 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 softer back end vocals that we might usually use so that was something that i wanted to do to a degree on this song I also think that there's something about the synthesizer playing by Bernie Worrell from Parliament and Funkadelic Records, which I might have leaned on for this song. So, Parliament need to be credited. End of edit. Okay. Damo from Bristol says, I have tickets to your October tour but I'm still nervous about returning to gigs in any rush, Mm. particularly indoor ones. At least your gigs aren't in July. But I'm wondering how you both feel about gigs returning at the minute, yours and other people's. I mean, similar? A combination of feeling excited about it, but apprehensive, trying to be realistic. I mean, I'm very much hopeful that they will happen because I kind of feel like there's part of me that really needs to go and play. Um, the main thing I'm kind of nervous about is like doing the wrong thing. Mm. Doing the, you know, letting myself get carried away and being like, no, I just want to do these gigs no matter what, because I need them for me. <laughs> you know, I need to, to, you know, and it's a selfish thing really. I want to go out and play and feel like I'm involved in a moving, changing world. See people, I don't know, go to other places, play music with, you know, my friends. Um, Yeah, but the thing I think I'm nervous about is, um, yeah, maybe it not being the right thing and like, you know, whatever we do has a kind of a knock-on effect with, you know, say people in a 250 cap room, you know, it's like, that's 250 people who wouldn't have been together. That's if we sell it out, obviously, uh, which we probably won't. But, you know, it's that thing really, it's like, well, it could be our fault if something bad happens. And I, I'm just like, I struggle with guilt at the best of times, I think, so I, I don't really like the idea about that. What about you, Dave? I've spoken too much. I mean... In all of the periods where things have opened up a bit, I I felt pretty uncomfortable in any circumstances where I'm near a lot of people. Hmm. Um, I am hoping that I, if the public health situation continues to improve as it is at the moment, beginning of May 2021, um, that... I will start to get used to it Mm. and start to feel a bit less nervous and a bit less apprehensive. Um, I think all of this would have been easier if um, from the beginning, the public health communications had been better. Um, I think we've ended up in a situation where like everyone's been left to become a amateur epidemiologist. Yeah. And it's a crazy situation to be to be in. And I think some people are, feel like they have become that Actually, as well. They've they've yeah. Act- yeah. Um 
it's it's shown up um you know both for me personally and like the public at large that um understanding of risk is not great i feel like every time i turn the radio on somebody who really doesn't understand risk is talking <laughs> yeah um understanding of statistics is like not great and maybe all of that would have been better not that if there'd been consistency but if um people had been willing to say this is what we think is best at the moment subject to change as we find stuff out because this is all new um and i can understand why that doesn't happen because people don't cope well with uncertainty so you try and have a very clear message mm. but then that you know that gets turned around and people say you said something else before and now you've just changed your mind so now i don't believe anything anyone in authority says um that's not helpful um but my hope for live music is that the vaccination program goes very well and restrictions are lifted in a very cautious way and there'll come a point where we can all feel kind of a great lovely sense of catharsis by actually going to a, a gig on the other hand if those things can't happen you know as as the as our plan is, we'll rearrange things and and do it at a different time because that everything is being organised on those bases. Yeah. You know, everyone who's booking a gig and everyone who's buying tickets for a gig, I think, is doing it on the basis that I I hope this happens, and if it doesn't happen, then I hope it happens later on. Later on. Yeah. Um, see, there's my. Uh, half-hearted sense of optimism there you go in, in the there flesh. you go <laughs> I mean, it gives me a good idea for that Led Zeppelin tribute band name though tell me Led by the signs 